raise your hands if you're dealing with difficult people in your life okay now those of you who did not raise your hands you are those difficult people that's important look around there they are it's you if you criticize others ideas they'll almost never use yours no matter how good they are your ability to manage and deal with people you don't like will define your greatness you have to look at them and do this look I disagree with you but I'm willing to listen I'm gonna write a book yep and it's called men are from Mars and women are not impressed That's right. <laughs> we have people who are 55 years old with a mouse in their hand going what the heck happened to my life what is this this is weird so put your hands together ladies and gentlemen for my friend garrison win hello garrison hey doug how's it going it's going good we uh actually you're in houston i am yeah still yes yeah, still and I'm still, here. I'm still in the dallas fort worth area and we uh we survived this blizzard that we just had isn't that the oh, yeah. craziest thing negative 16 degrees what? yeah crazy yeah, so we had like 20 degrees in Houston, and of course they called the National Guard, and the city was shut down. I had no water for, and no water and no electricity for four days. I was sitting on my couch dressed like I'm going dog sledding. That's what I was doing. But what was interesting is while all that's happening in Houston, there's an eight-year-old kid walking to school in Minneapolis. Barefoot. He's barefooted. Yeah. You know, it's just you know, but so the, whole, that the whole state shuts down here. Now, what's yeah. interesting is, you know, I'm not gonna get all political, but you know, the grid, we weren't connected to the grid, and so so our electric company uh was not equipped to supply power during such cold, frigid temperatures. What they the supplied power just not to all of us. Yeah. Not to all of us. They just we had rolling blackouts where people had power missing from parts of their yeah. But you went four full days without power or water? No, 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 no. I had like maybe an hour of power. Just, I had just enough power to make me mad. Just enough That's uh, water and power to make me miserable. Yes. What we were so. doing was like, okay. And we should be good for a while. And me and my wife like to watch TV, Netflix, and all that stuff. That's just our thing. So we start sure. getting into a show, and we're like, oh, okay, here we go. And like you said, it was about a half hour into it. I'm like, oh, yeah. my God. So we went back to listening to an audio book on my phone. Um, right. And then uh, the kids go, this is boring. I'm going to go upstairs. And then uh, the power comes back on. I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to power my phone the last time that it was on. So let me get it going now. I was actually just something that was really terrible happened to a lot of us out there is I was actually forced to talk to my girlfriend for like five hours. How? And no one, I don't know, it was awful. No one should do that. It was, yeah, we had, there's no TV. And you had to listen to her and everything. We had to talk to each other. It was just, it was horrendous. For those of you uh, who are not in the state of Texas, and you've heard about it on all the major right. national networks that uh, Texas was shut down and you're, you're yep. hearing a story that is very exaggerated. It is very exaggerated. We we were fine. It was like camping. No, I wasn't fine. You no, were was fine. You was were you had like blankets. You were inside. <laughs> I was wearing snowshoes in the hallway on the carpet. It was ridiculous. You look fine. Look at you. You survived. You survived. Well, then you're just seeing the studio. I mean, that's just oh, the house. Is, yeah. Is just, yeah. I got gotcha. you. So we yeah. survived, everybody. Uh, the snowstorm came and went. And guess what? The day after the, uh, Mother Nature tried to kill us, uh, it decided to be 70 degrees the very next day. And so oh, yeah, we're wearing yeah. shorts. It was quite. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All seriousness. You, yes. when I uh, met you, 
back in the early 2000s. You, this is, you know, when the internet kind of just kind of was blossoming, you know, it was the wild, wild west. You were in the middle of getting your website put up. And back then it was a big deal to have your own website. So for those of you who don't know Garrison, Garrison, why don't you tell us who you are and what the heck do you do? Oh, well, who I am is I'm Garrison Wynn. I've been speaking at conventions professionally for 25 years on five continents. And I talk on influence, how to get people to do what you want them to do. Now that relates to leadership and change management and safety mostly. So those three areas. And um, I've written a couple of best-selling books. And uh, I really focus a lot on what people can actually do immediately. Not the view from 30,000 feet. What can you actually do now to make a difference? What, what is it influential people actually specifically do now? that make a difference. So not an academic exercise, but basically the actions that they take. Yeah. And he's kind of like my Jerry Seinfeld friend. I'm like, so you do that, you know, you ever notice thing I go, Garrison, so you're still doing the raise your hands if you're dealing with difficult people thing. And, and we all have our separate lives. What's that? You you shot, you you shot the original video, Doug, who who we, I met Doug back in the mid fifties and he (laughs) shot the original, it was like 54 after the war. Um, he shot the original, uh, I believe the original video for 2002 that, that went on the, 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 uh, when, when we put that video on the internet, we were talking to speakers bureaus who go, what you got video on the internet. What's that? Like they, it was like hard to believe. Yeah. And, and not only that, but the, the, all the great sound bites were stacked together. Oh yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, what was our idea was just to cut it like that. And it worked out very well. And Doug, that video made millions of dollars, not hundreds of thousands, but it made millions of dollars. I probably yeah. am regretting now that we maybe should have had a different payment arrangement. It, it was a lot of, you charge a lot of money, but you weren't cheap back then. You were not that cheap. No, I wasn't. Um, no, you weren't. I, I wasn't cheap for people like you. Uh, you, but you were cheap for others. What are you talking about? Dude? I was less I expensive for others. You know why? <laughs> So I got ripped off. What are you talking about? So maybe I did okay. Maybe I did okay on the pricing. You uh, were the person that um, in my company, I established a rule called the pain in the ass client fee. Oh, yeah. And, and and it started like like we were talking earlier offline about Lou Gehrig. He was patient zero. They named the disease after him. You are the founder of the pain in the ass uh, client. Oh, uh, I'm the original. I say that in the very most kind and loving way because we're friends uh, now. But at the time, I was a young whippersnapper trying to find my way through video. And I come across this Garrison Wynn guy who's very detail-oriented. And I respect that now, but man, I was trying to please him and, and move a clip this way. And he's like, what are you doing? No, I wanted it that way. I'm like, hold on. I got to do Wait, No, no. I said, I wanted it this way. And then I'd spend some time doing it that way. And I'd hit the play button. And he's like, nah, I like it the way it was before. I'm like, oh, okay. So, so it was like, oh my God, this guy has totally lost his mind. But I'll tell you what, that push and pull Garrison, that push and pull that we had together, if it generated millions of dollars for you, I think that that's a no. formula for success. That original video was amazing. And remember, when it went up on the uh, website, and it was 2000, I think it was May, I think, of 2002 that went up. No, it's not. You shot it. Yeah, you shot it in April, went up in May. Okay. I, remember, I remember it was an April event. Was it in Dallas? Maybe it was. Might be. But it went up in April, um, I mean, in May. And, uh, and it, I, I, we had to explain to pe- people, said, hey, send us your VHS. I'm That's like, well, right. And you have the internet, and then of course they'd have dial up or whatever it was, or you know back then, and uh, they were they were oh wow, we're watching you on the internet. Um, well, yeah, well, I, I you said VHS tape, and I just remembered. I think I remember the the printed labels 
that will go on the spine of the VHS tapes. And I remember Garrison Wynn and I put him in the black cases and had your logo on it. And I shipped you these VHS tapes to fling out to people. Did that really happen? It really happened. And we used to ship them all over the country. People go, hey, send me your VHS. It was a really difficult thing to get people to watch. And remember, we forget about how this works. So uh, in 1996, I had a website. No one had a website in 96. I had one. We were working on it. We had it up and going. And we were running ads, trying to advertise for the first time uh, to get business. And the number one search engine back then was, was Ask G's. Was oh, yeah, Ask G's. But there was this other one uh, that was kind of crappy, but it was doing okay. The guy was friendly. We were running ads with them, and they were called Backrub. They changed their name to Google. We used to talk to Larry all the time when it was called Backrub. And one day in 1997, he goes, I think I called the, the company Google. I said, that's a terrible name, but that was in 97. Yeah, Google. What's a Google? Yeah. Well, then the Yahoo, and then there was a Night, uh, Netscape Navigator and AOL, all the fun uh, web browsers that basically got narrowed down to Google now. Right. I was the 45th, 44th person to advertise on Google. I was their 44th AdWords customer. Really? But again, yeah, again, Ask Jeeves was really what they thought people wanted. But Ask Jeeves was basically just asking questions. Google was literally um, uh, looking at advertisement. Google, the vision they had, Larry was right. What Larry said in 97 was right, that people want to be able to go on here and find what they're looking for, and that could be anything. And he was selling golf clubs and everything else. Back Larry in the day, it was golf clubs. It was golf clubs and porn. That's what the money was back in the day. Yeah. What was what? Larry who? Uh, the guy, Larry. I forget his name. Larry, another dude. They were the founders of the company. Founders of uh, ask- who, who? Yeah, I forget his name. Yeah, he used to email us all the time. Um, Can you look that up, Larry? And uh, it? I'm googling right yeah, now. We have our, our our staff looking into that right now. Larry, uh, yeah, Larry, Larry Page. Anyway. Larry who? Larry Page. Yeah, that's Larry. Yep. Larry Page. Like Jimmy. Now the video that you're talking about, the one that's it's got yeah. seventy six thousand views on your YouTube channel. That's 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 one version of it. The the other version had about one hundred and thirty five thousand views. Wow. And uh, another version had eight or nine or ten. There's five or six versions. The lowest has around ten thousand. So I don't know Golly. how to use that. And well, what, but here's the thing, though, that maybe not a lot of views by today's standards. But if you take a look at who's viewing it, the only someone who's looking to buy a speaker is viewing that or someone who's encountering it on YouTube who is Googling my name or Googling speaker finds that. So if you compare the searches to that, it's a real high number. Yeah, yeah no. It, well, so, so, you know, back then, that's when uh, we started working together. And yep. um, so so if why why in the hell have you decided to be in this field. I mean, there's lots of things you could be. Why well, Why am I still doing this? Why, why am I doing yeah, it? Yeah, you've been doing it for this long. I mean, surely some yeah. point you went, this is, I'm ready to do something else. What, what is it you no, like no, about I, it? I, I, I do this because I just lack other skills. I mean, I just lack a lot of other skills. I mean, I, Embrace what you're good at, pretty much. Well, no, but seriously, yeah, right. what, no, I mean, I mean, you I, like I, it, right? Yeah, I was a pro stand-up when I was a young guy and then uh, did corporate America and kind of went back in the stand-up a little bit. And I just... Decide, it was 1995, and I decided I was going to quit corporate America because I quit because I got tired of making other people rich. That's why I quit. Okay, well, um, back up before so, corporate America, you were in the comedy yeah. circuit. What era was that? And- uh, I started like in the 80s out of college, and I used to work with Ron White, uh, Andrew Dice Clay. I did a bunch of shows with Mitch Hedberg, with Richard Jenny. 
Uh, wow. Steve Califf, um, uh, Gary Shandling a little bit. Gary uh, Shandling. Some, of the, uh, some of the other names were like, uh, who's the guy? Oh, oh! Uh, oh, yeah. So Sam, Sam, Sam Kennison. Kennison was the doorman. He was the doorman at the comedy store, and Mitzi, who owned it, wouldn't let him up. Uh, wow. Know, but, uh, that was that's a little bit before, a tiny bit before me. Polly like, Shore? Time I was doing it, Sam was already there. What now? Polly well, Pauly, Pauly was about, when I was doing stand-up at the comedy store, Pauly was about this big. He was a little pain in the ass. He used to get behind the bar and shoot the bar gun at people. He would shoot, he would shoot like Coca-Cola into the audience. He was like about 14 years old. Wasn't his mom the owner of it or something? Yeah, yeah, Missy owned it, yeah. Mitzi. Okay. See, we did an interview with, uh, we did an interview for a TV show back in the, uh, or shortly after we were working together, a show called Grin and Barrett and, uh, got some footage of interviewing him with our, our host. And he yeah. talked about the comedy club and, and some yeah. about that. So you, you kind of were running with those guys back in the, the cocaine snorting drug using yeah. days. Yeah. There, there was a, there's probably, I would like to say 150 of us who are kind of, that you don't know who we were. We were mostly road comics and we were, uh, if you go see a comedy show, you got the first guy who's a local guy who sucks. Uh, you got the second guy that would be like me, uh, that you don't know who they are, do 30 minutes and the headliner is 45 minutes or an hour. That was a typical comedy show back then. You did uh, two shows Thursday, two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, one show Sunday on the next city. What did they pay back then for that? Like, there's probably different different rates. Like if you were if you were the warm up, it'd be one. But you mentioned before that you would yeah. go to certain parts of the country where you were the headliner. Yeah. Well, you know, if I'm if I was if I'm in L.A., I'm the middle. If I'm in New York at Caroline's, I'm the middle. But if you know, I'm in Valdosta, Georgia, I'm the headliner. Right. So, yeah. but what kind of scratch um, were you get? Would do comics get back then with that? Well, you can make $1,500 like doing that whole week. And that kind of money in 1987 was you were, you know, you were earning a living. You could earn a living. You could pay for your Coke uh, and, uh, you know, you, a shared you got, apartment. Yeah, right. You got, you got work. Yeah, you, yeah, you just you spent all the money that second night on right. drugs. But, still. but the, the thing is, is that it got a little bit worse. In the 90s, comedy was worse. It paid worse. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, yeah, so comedy, you, people, people stopped going to comedy clubs like they used to. There was definitely the death of comedy there. I'm going to say around 92, 93. Is that when uh, Eddie Murphy kind of came into Saturday Night Live? He, that was, yeah. At, you, yeah. It was you after. saw a lot of big comics. You saw a lot of big time comics that should have been having big shows out on the road coming to those shows. Yeah. That's, okay. that's how you knew. So if we so summed, he, he could have played an arena earlier, you know? So. Right, right, right. So if, if you summed it up, it would be that, uh, you know, that was how long did you do the comedy thing? How many years? A couple of years? Two, if, I, three, if I totaled the years up that I was doing it professionally, probably six. Okay, six. Seven. And I you were about how old? I, some, uh, I would have been 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. And then, uh, then, and then uh, after I was 30 years old and kind of got my life back together, I did a little stand up after that as well. So, so, so basically. You said, hey, you, you know, your parents are, are, are saying, you know, what are you going to do with your life, Garrison? And you said, I want to be on stage and I want to be yeah, a comedian. Well, there's nothing there's nothing like graduating from college and then like you like literally had this giant job opportunity and go, no, I'm going on a road trip and end up at a comedy club. Yeah, that's not yeah. They're the not parents proud. are like, oh, they're no, yeah, our son, we won't ever see him again. He's going to get hooked on drugs. I just know it. Well, I, it was a weird, I just walked into a comedy uh, open mic and somebody, this is in Jacksonville, Florida, and somebody said, um, you know, uh, you should do this. Some girl, some girl goes, you should do this. You're funnier than this guy. And, he's, and I went in there and I did it and uh, instantly worked. I was earning a living in nine months. It was a weird thing. that it Kind of fell into it. Right. You kind of fell into it. 
Yeah, but I got I got super lucky. I got really really lucky. And I mean, writing material though, I mean, once you re- once she said you're funny, you should be doing this, and you did it. Then you went. I guess I need to start writing some stuff and memorizing the I cadence. Did, I, and- I wrote a bunch of I wrote a bunch of stuff. What's weird is is that is the stuff that I wrote. I'm just always surprised that it worked. I mean, if I go back and look at, uh, I mean, some old bits. You know, well, Garrison, it's not necessarily the words that are that are written; it's how it's delivered, right. and that's something that you've got oh. a, a knack for. Yeah, I think I think delivery. Too. I was accused of being the cotton candy of comedy because I would do something, and another comedian would go, "Why are they laughing? That's not funny." Yes. Uh, so, right. so okay, so let me let me say, so uh, so you did that uh, for six or so years, then yeah. you you got into the corporate world. You mentioned, tell me about well, that. Well, I, I, I went in corporate America earlier than the eighties, oh, okay. and I actually had a good job. My boss fired, I got his job. I was doing good stuff, but you know, I was just having, <laughs> what I was, was your job? Was man. it sales? What was it? What were you? I was, no, I was I was involved. I, w- I worked for a company that was involved in the funeral industry, and they sold annuities for prearranged funerals. I got this kind of easy job, and then the, the this guy quit. I got that job. I got promoted. Then my boss quit. Ended up in corporate headquarters. I was like a junior VP for this company. I was like twenty seven years old and doing dope, and I was a junior right. VP. Yeah, stability yeah, though. Yeah. I mean, you had a paycheck every two weeks. You accrued. Oh no, it was it was good. It was and I, and I was still doing a little teeny bit of stand up around, but not much. I was doing bits and pieces. Moonlighting. And I did that. Yeah, I did that until the wheels came off my life uh, in uh, I guess 1990, um, and then uh, went back to corporate America, and then eventually went back into stand up. And then I was doing what happened was is I was doing corporate gigs that paid so much more than stand up, and so I started to really create kind of a corporate funny keynote that was funny. It was leadershipy and salesy and whatever. But at the same time, really a lot back then it was a large part of my act was in there. Now I'm a lot of people, at least I try to ask questions that I think my viewers want to know. And a lot of people would say, I wonder wonder how much those guys make, you know, uh, if they're doing those corporate videos, because they, you know, you know that like a company like Frito-Lay or IBM, they they have these sales conventions. They spend hundreds of thousands of dollars for the golfing and the the three day convention. And and they they have a a keynote speaker and maybe some other keynote speakers. Um, It was my record. You tell me uh, if this is around accurate. There was different levels of of status levels of speakers one was around 2500 bucks one was around five grand one was uh between seven to ten grand per keynote and that's a 45 minute to an hour set is that close yeah i mean it would have been while back i mean these days a bureau if you're not 5k the bureau won't talk to you um so and there's a lot of things that used to be 25k more down to 15 10k so a lot of people are falling into the same box but yeah close enough because there's some there's some people uh, there's a connie podesta was somebody that i did some work with and i know connie i've worked with yeah i know connie oh really yeah i mean she was well i know i know well i can't say that i know you know her because i know she saw my video i've got proof that connie saw my video oh very cool well i i I worked with her for just a short period of time uh with another producer Um, and uh, some others that that really were uh, Randy Pennington. Shout out to Randy Pennington. Uh, yeah. You know Stephen Harville. 
We had a Gary Rifkin. We had Kelly Verla. These yeah, were my are. clients that that, that did stuff. I know Pennington. Pennington's great, and, and Podesta's great too. Yeah. Yeah, and so, but and they were doing well. I mean, driving Beamers, and you know, wearing yeah. nice clothes. So in my mind, you know, the answer is yeah, they're making you know uh, between five to ten k a pop, and in some cases, they might even get more. And if you're doing right. that, you know, uh, as often, so so tell tell me how often you were uh, traveling and how many gigs per year and well, you know, because you, well, I, was, yeah, I, I was, I was doing uh, more, much more than most. So I was doing a hundred gigs in a year um, and making good money. And, and uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah. hundred gigs a year. And I did 90, uh, so I did 85 gigs in 2019. So I was still doing that many gigs. I mean, I always do 80 gigs a year. So, so hold on here, Weston, 85 gigs at around 10 grand each that will carry the one. That's like $80 million. Uh, yeah, that's that's your math. Oh. It is not eighty million dollars, oh. but yeah. So 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 you started to get into realizing that the corporate definitely was better. You could use your comedy skills to deliver well, I messages. I like, but I didn't like I didn't like stand up anymore. I made a couple of movies that were bad movies. I made the kind of movies where you look at the dailies and go, oh, "This is going direct to video for sure." I can tell by looking at it. So I, yeah. I, you know, I didn't like, I didn't like show business. Yeah. So the combination of me not liking show business, I didn't like the people and the, you know, I was getting, you know, beer commercials and bad stuff. I wasn't interested in doing it. The money was better in the corporate world. I don't know. I just, I felt like you could make a contribution when you're doing, and I don't want to criticize stand up, but if you're doing stand up, um, if you get a house laugh every 20 seconds, the club owner brings you back. And that's about all there is to stand up. That's okay. It. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I, mean that, that's, I mean, if you could, that was, that was all that it was, it matter what you said or did or what your impact was. I don't know. I just didn't feel like I made enough of a contribution. That's well, I'll, I can almost say too, that, you know, as a entrepreneur, as a leader, taking control of where, where you're going, not being dependent upon a company, uh, for your livelihood, you know, you kind of went, Hey, I could really just own my own thing. I mean, your whole company is Garrison Wynn for crying out loud. There's no, I mean, it's, it's you, you're selling, you are the company. And I'm doing I'm doing more than that these days. I'm a partner in another company and we do consulting and some things like that. So there's other things that are going on. I mean, I'm a partner in a company that does everything from, you know, risk management to property and casual insurance. I'm a partner in that. But I also do Garrison Win Win Solutions. I'm doing a lot of that. So okay. I'm a little, a little more diversified. Okay. But what I am doing, what I am doing is speaking all the time. I do I'm doing a virtual events all the time now. So I'm still I'm still doing this. You don't get tired of uh, of the traveling and the hotels and the planes and all that? No, I got to tell you, you know, I'd rather fly to Las Vegas to do a virtual event. I mean, I'm telling you, the virtual events is always a tech check. There's a lot of things going on. I mean, here I am. This is my virtual environment. I'd much rather be with an audience with everybody sitting around. And, uh, right. Love yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, there, I'm glad you brought that up. You mentioned virtual. Um, so, you know, what, what, did COVID mean to you when, you know, how did it affect your business? I obviously that, you know, oh, tell me, tell me about that. I lost tons of money. I mean, I, my business was driven by live performances and, uh, and I was doing, you know, uh, 85, 90 in a year. So if all those go away, what do you think happens? It's quite difficult. You had them so, booked out. How far did you have, you had stuff already on when, when you found out they closed everything down, you had stuff. Oh, on yeah, the, they, 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 canceled what was on the books. Some of that, there was force majeure in place. I owed the money down payments. They paid me back, stopped all contracts coming in, stopped all leads. And just, it was just terrible. It's the worst case scenario. There's not really any way 
We've never shut an economy down before. There's no way to explain it, what that does. I mean, we've never shut down the economy except for this one time. And I was in an industry that became just illegal to have a convention. And I'm not criticizing that. I think maybe we should have shut down the economy. I'm not going to criticize all that. I think we maybe did the right thing, but it wasn't the right thing for me. Yeah. What, are, what are some things that you realized that you're, you were going to have to do to uh, you know, keep the lights on and do your thing? Uh, let's see. I had to realize I could not be rich anymore. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> that. that was a big lesson. Uh, womp, womp, yeah. yeah, that was a big. Um, you know, I mean, I just had to, you know, uh, focus on what I could do. I mean, you know, the uh, virtual events are what they are, and we're doing them every month consistently. I'm doing it. You know, I, I, I was warming up today for what we're doing on Friday. We did one, you know, while, last week. We did, I did, did, did a recorded one. Uh, where you record it and they play it whenever. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. So did, did your clients, because you've had, you have a relationship with clients that use you yeah. again and again and again. And sure. and those clients that they reach out to you and say, hey, Garrison, look, we're having to send everybody home, working from home. We're not going to be, uh, you know, but we still would like, you know, we still have to sell. We still have to work. Um, how did that go down? Well, no, they said, most people said, hey, guess what? We're not going to have an event this year. That's what they, most people said. Some said, hey, we're going to go to virtual and uh, we need blah, 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 blah. And can you do this? And I'm like, yeah. And some people said, hey, we're going to go to virtual. We'll, you know, we're ready to go. It's going to be, you know, on May, whatever. And they're doing it. And so the ones who said we would like to do it virtual was at your rut row. I need to get some gear. I need to, how am I going to look? How yeah, am I going to sound? I started, I, I started out, you know, with the big uh, hanging mic, like a TV mic. And all no, that the boom mic. Stuff. Yeah. A boom mic and all that. And then I realized that I really had to just do this like it was a live deal. So I'm standing here on the stage. Yes. Um, and my background's simple. That way we can edit afterwards. If you do a green screen, it looks weird. So yeah. I want it very simple. And I'm wearing a lavalier mic. And I'm just, I just do it just like this. You know? It looks good. Raise I mean, your, it looks raise clean. Your hands if you're dealing with this. <laughs> raise your hands. <laughs> That's so, because see, when I would and film then, you, and then this he is quit. what. That's he what quit. I, yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, what I saw you through the, the viewfinder of my camera, and it looked just like this without the borders on the TV. So really, it's the same message, just virtual. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. interaction part isn't there, but you, but your background looks good. You sound great. And so your clients now, and maybe you picked up some new clients who went, hey, uh, oh, yeah. so did you have to learn you know, uh, you know, the camera? You're not using some web camera or anything, are you? Well, no, what I'm, right now I'm using a Canon 90D. There's a reason we use this camera. The lens is fantastic. Now, we're, we're no offense, we're, we're going through Zoom. This probably looks like Yeah, crap. it's going to be a little, we, yeah. Right. If we weren't going through Zoom, if we were just doing, um, uh, you know, Microsoft Teams or whatever it was, and you could just see this camera do what it does, it's a fantastic camera. It's better than a, uh, it's a DLSR, and it's mm -hmm. better than other types because of the quality of the lens and what it really looks like and, and the adjustments you can make on it, too. You can actually adjust it afterwards and we can speed things up and slow it down we do all kinds of cool stuff um but i do this totally live so basically the audience is out there they're watching on their laptops or a phone that they've stolen or whatever they've got <laughs> they're watching out there and and i'm just doing what i'm doing and so they're just at home in their underwear because right. they turned off netflix right or some weird ben affleck movie and they're just watching the their phone or watching their tablet or watching their uh laptop no, so uh, inter so no interaction as of yet where you, somebody could raise their well, hand or text it, it, a question or it depends. It depends right now in front of me is about a 70 inch monitor. That's what you're on. 70 can, inch 70. Yeah. 
We can fill this up with little squares, and that way the people can be there and I can see their faces. So sometimes we do that. Now, if we unmute them, we have to be careful because there's always some maniac with a yeah. dog and a blender right. you know, going on. I don't know why a guy would have a dog and he's like, I just really happy. You got a barking dog and a blender. What the hell are you making? Uh, this is ridiculous. He's like making dog food in a blender, whatever. Yeah. But some of that happens. Uh, so you can't really do that. But I can see them. I, I did a couple events where I could see the audience. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, obviously you want to uh, stay connected to your clients and in doing what you're doing now does that. Um, you've been on some of the largest stages across the world done this for yeah. almost 30 years now uh for major players in the corporate space um you, all i've done all the fortune 500 from American express to walmart you name it i've been their speaker it'd yep. be hard to name someone i haven't spoken to in 25 years. and that's amazing and that's a huge is, accomplishment i can't believe it yeah so you, over those years you must have seen some generational changes in the workplace um oh for sure oh for sure yeah what what are those generational changes and and really the next question would be what changes have you made to meet the needs of those people? Well, I, I need to say this because it, it it is important for everybody to understand it. There's always a generational difference. I was 27 years old dealing with World War II people, and I remember when I was in corporate America explaining to World War II guys, "No, I swear to God, it's called a computer. You'll love it." And, no, we're not doing that. Was that, that was when so you were called the punk boy boss? The punk? They were called me punk boy manager. But yeah. called, well, actually, actually, they called me punk ass manager, but I kind of, you know. So uh, it's hard to be effective when you're punk ass manager, but that's what happened. So, um, yeah. So I dealt with that, and I was that person. I was the tech person. I was a whatever. As time goes by, I think that kind of replicates itself. There are some differences. You and I, a little bit apart in, in, in generation, but close enough, we're going to believe things that people 25 years old are not going to believe. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing about it is, is each generation kind of creates the next generation. So we can't blame them. You know, like, you know, like if they are, if, you know, if, if some generation is a certain way, who did that? We did that. If Don't give me an example. What, what are you, what have you, what have you noticed? Um, the, the, I'd say the difference of people that before the computer generation, before you know, we weren't born with a mouse in our hand, uh, right. we had to learn right. these skills. And then, then the newer generation, who when they were born, they were asking for a phone when they were, you know, six. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like you're, you, you, you have a son, and your son, who's in with us today, mm -hmm. uh, Weston, um, is, uh, you know, he was born just kind of chewing on a phone. He's, you know, he's a kid with a phone in a crib, just chewing oh, on it. I yeah. wasn't that. I wasn't right? that. So, yeah. Bad. 98, was it? 98? I, I had my first cell phone when I was like 10 or something. All right. So you're a little older than the younger. I mean, I remember yeah, that coming that's out. Yeah, but that's because your dad held it back. You oh, yeah. This is true. But we I didn't allow it. The, the you were a bad parent. If you you let your kid have a phone, oh, that's so right. bad. And I'm like, what? We want to know where he's but, at. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, um, if Weston right now was traveling somewhere and his GPS went out, he couldn't get there. That's the difference. He wouldn't be able to arrive because he doesn't know where northwest and south is. He doesn't know a compass. He doesn't have to know a compass because he has a phone that does it. And so th the weird news is, is, yes, I can't get a pizza today because this girl lost her phone. She's not coming. She can't get here. Right. Um, but her, power, her battery ran. Also, but she could deliver a pizza at midnight in Egypt. Yeah. So they're what? More resourceful. They're yeah. more because of the knowledge that they've learned online. Uh, well, the, the technology makes a difference. Tech, you, you can do things with technology you couldn't do without it. So they're, you know, abs absolutely it's a, a plus. 
What are some but characteristics? If, you, if, you, if it's older, you think differently. So. What are some characteristics that you know of that generation that you have heard from, and you know you're, you speak to two managers of, of companies yeah. who have departments who have to deal with. Yeah, these you can't do anything early if you if you want people to show up at seven thirty in the morning. The twenty five year olds are not going to be there. They're just not coming. They're not coming that early. If you want to get a bunch of twenty five year olds in a ballroom for an event, your event has to start at ten o'clock, and then you'll be packed. Hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't want to. I'm biased because you know my son uh, is here and and he's heard me talk about uh, the, the M word. I'm very very careful about. Well, using your son is here because it's four p.m. Go ahead. That's right. That's true. That's uh, but the millennial. What was the deal? Uh, you know, when we call them millennials. Yeah, well, because it's stupid because the millennials, that means they're a thousand years old. Yeah. Just because a millennial, he's a you, thousand years old. You, you are a thousand year old. That's the, <laughs> That's the worst they've ever heard. These millennials, like, really? Yeah. What the hell's a millennial? Yeah. Um, but, but the thing is, is that I think that every generation uh, has their pluses and minuses. Um, it's real easy for us to talk about. But I mean, what generation didn't make it? This, this generation will never make it. They always do. Well, companies so have companies fine. have to adapt, right? And you work with companies who have to deal with the, the adapting to change. Um, well, yeah, but yeah, right. But you have to manage people for who they are, not who you wish they were. You have to manage people for who they are, not who you wish they were. So smart managers in corporate America right now are saying, okay, Wesley, uh, we understand how you grew up and what you think and what you believe. And we're going to try to adhere to that as much as possible. Yes, we have to be here on time. We might want to adjust that time if possible. In other words, if the, we don't start doing business until 10, we're not going to actually be here at 7. Yeah. Where maybe 30 years ago, everybody's here at 7.30. Why? We don't know. Just be here at 7.30. You know? right. So we have to kind of pick our battles, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, to be as influential uh, as we possibly can. Also, we taught uh, Generation Y or the millennials uh, to ask, to question everything. So now we have to explain why we're doing everything we taught them that. That is not something that they developed on their own. We said, question everything, and now they are. Well, that's true because, um, you know, I was, I think for me growing up, I work for, for the Southland Corporation and computer operations, and I, right. I'd meet these guys who were older than me and they were married. I was probably 23, 4. And I was curious. So I would always ask questions like, why do we do it this way? And how, how does this work that way? And, and a guy said, you know, a lot of people don't ask those questions, you know, so it, it wasn't necessarily questioning authority. It was just a, a natural curiosity. I'm curi curious, right. the Doug, curious, George, curious, Doug, call me. Right. So, so, but the, the new generation, it seems there's times, and they're not all of them, but they, but they have, like, and I think you, we've taught them this. But right. if you said, hey, here's um, the way you do this. And instead of going, oh, well, show me more. Let me, let me try that. It's more like, well, why do we have to do it that way? Can't we do it well, this way? And we're all like, well. Some of that's our, well, some of it's our fault. What we didn't teach Wesley and, and is history. We forgot we left that out. So when he was in high school, he got a little teeny kind of smattering of history. Mm -hmm. And a lot more about the future and what has to happen about technology and advancement. We didn't teach him that we've always had technology and advancement, that this technology is new technology. We've always had technology. And so what's happening now, and it's tough, and, and is that they're going to learn lessons they maybe other generations didn't have to learn. I mean, you and I can have the advantage of capitalizing on the mistakes of others. That's true. It's, uh -huh. I think that the, yeah. we, we, they're yeah. a little more, more risky, you know, there's no risk, no reward, which is, was good. Right. But we played it a little more 
traditional and safe. Like before I start wearing jeans and shirt, the first day at work, I'm going to wear my suit. And then, and then everybody makes fun of you for wearing the suit and like, ah, well, look at but, but, the new guy. But it's, but it's also about just knowing, you know, I was on a, a, a podcast and a guy wanted to talk about fascism. He didn't know who Mussolini was. So how that's if you don't know the if you don't know the foundation of your own argument, it's a weird conversation to have. Yeah. But the truth about this guy was is his idea and what fascism meant to him didn't really have anything to do with the past. He was really talking about what it felt like now. I can't have that conversation with him because actually what he's talking about isn't fascism. It's actually something else. But his heart was in it. He believed in it. And he wasn't wrong about his conviction and he wasn't wrong about his belief. He just didn't understand the history. So that's a, a thing where you and I might have a problem. Um, I, I don't know what to do about that, but I, I do know that um, if you and I don't know how to do something, we'll go, hey, I don't know how to do that. Let me call somebody who knows how to do it. Uh, Wesley's going to spend nine hours on the Internet and find out. Hey, hey, Weston, I'm going to change your name to Wesley, by the way. Yeah. Is it Wesley? It's I'm Weston. sorry, Wesley. It's Weston. Weston. Weston, no, like the hotel, but with the O. No. No, Weston. No. There you Man, go. Sorry. My my son, super smart. Uh, his friends, they they're very uh, intellectual. They've got their own opinions. And I I at first kind of was like, man, they're 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 very disruptive. But but I'm telling you, they're going to be the ones who are going to like lead things, change things. Oh, yeah. Right. They're well, not they, they're well, not they... going to like hesitate and go. Let me let me do this to the politically correct way. They're going to be the ones who say, why the hell we've been doing it this way? This is the way it should be done and and not be afraid. Uh, they're going to know more. The, Doug, they're, here's the, they're going to know more because you and I call somebody. How do you do this? And they tell us. Yeah. And maybe it's easier. Maybe it's faster. Who knows? Somehow at that point, maybe it's better. But. If Weston and, and, and other people in that age group, if they just start studying and studying, what happens is in three weeks from that point, they know more than the person we would have asked. That's, so That's true. what I'm finding out. I'm finding out they're learning more than we ever, ever learned. Yes. So I think long term, short term, I think it sucks. But long term, I think it's a great idea to be that willing to learn that much. You know That's what, though? It pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> I know it pisses you off. I'm even like, yeah, come on. Yeah. It took me years to learn what he learned in three weeks, you know, or, or, uh, just, it's the way that information is learned. I mean, from doing homework and, and going to college, the resources that are available at your fingertips through phone and internet, uh, they've figured out a way to get information faster and learn, uh, very specific and specific silos. It's really amazing. And, and oh. there's been many times here in this studio, I'm like, no, you got to plug it in like this. And he's like, well, I had it plugged in this way and it sounded better. And I'm like, wait right. a minute, wait a minute. What did you do again? You know, but, but I, I, but I, I can't criticize because when, when I was Weston's age, I was, uh, had no shirt on and was barefoot in the bar. So I can't, I can't. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, the, the, no comparison. comparison. I was not that advanced. I mean, I think they're more advanced than, yeah. than I was. It's cool. I actually have, I will say, a, a, you know, very a positive hope for, for our future, for the new generation. And and though that we might not, and even my parents' generation, they're probably, it's like whoosh, way over their head. Um, but but I see the, the mechanics of how things could really end up for these folks to be, you know, and these are people who are going to be in the workplace, managers having their own companies. They're going to be politicians. Right. They're going to be innovators. And I, I, I really am excited to see, uh, and I'll be retired. So I'll just sit back and watch but, all this happen. 
But, but they'll be walking around saying the same thing. Remember the old days when they didn't have a computer attached to our eyeball? They're going to be complaining. So, yes. You know, so. Yeah. It's, it's remember a, when cars had wheels? Yeah, remember, that's right. We had to drive on the road. Um, on the road. But so uh, here's, a, here's a question for you. What would you say would be the biggest obstacle or barrier that prevents people from getting what they want in life? Well, two things. I think one is they don't focus um, on one piece of something at a time. I've got a dream. I've got a goal. I'm going to go journey to the goal. But there's lots of pieces and parts of that you have to actually do. So um, you kind of have to uh, you have to kind of be on the journey. The goal doesn't work if you're not really on the journey and pay attention to what's there along the way. So everything can be broken down into pieces. I think a lot of people are very goal focused. They know what they really want, but they don't really know how to actually get it. And I think they need to take a look at the pieces and parts and work on it. Some things are complicated. You got you to gotta figure this thing out to figure that thing out to go there. So that's one thing. I think that uh, people tend to look over what is important. They're looking past what they're working on. Right, right. The, like they, they see where they the, the, here's let's say that what they want. Let's just say they want to own their own company, be their own right. boss. And and maybe at the infancy of that thought and they want to put energy behind it. They imagine themselves getting there like in like a couple months when it when it might take longer. Um, not just that, not just that, but this what what the step is and the stress that a lot of people are so stressed out these days, young people, especially. Uh, and, and the leading cause of stress is knowing exactly what you're supposed to be doing and consistently doing something else. Yes. And I, and I think what happens is that you have an idea of, you know, what you want, but you've got to do this thing that's in front of you. Right. If you can't get this done, you're never going to get. Right. That. And for some so reason, they're like, ah, oh, today, tomorrow's going to be the day I'm going to do that. And then if tomorrow comes and they're like, well, not not just that. I want this, and let me do the fourth thing that will get me there. I got you. you. The first, let me skip around thing. or whatever, right? Yeah, like skip around, right? No, yeah. I, sometimes I think you're you right. have to work things in the order that they show up in your life, and you got to solve certain problems. And they'll know? figure it out. I mean, they'll figure out that hey, I want I wanted to go from step one to step five, and when I did that, and when I wanted to go to step six, I realized that I needed to know step two or three right. in order to get to seven and eight, and so then they end up backtracking and kind of. The other thing is clarity. I think there is a kind of an allergy to simpleness these days, and people sometimes aren't very clear. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how smart you are if no one knows what you're talking about. And I think that's another barrier for young people in success, that you have to be able to clearly explain the value of something to get buy-in from other people. So if you want to know why you, 25-year-old, is not getting any buy-in from the 55-year-old, is they may not know what you're talking about, and they're not going to ask you because they're afraid to look stupid. So if you're That's not right. clear, you have no influence at all. Very good it reminds point. Me, reminds me of uh, my Aunt Ethel. So I was a kid, growing up as Aunt Ethel, uh, who was old, and, and my dad was old. Everybody's old. I'm young. And um, my Aunt Ethel, I hadn't seen her in 20 years. So my dad went, uh, went to see her. I guess she was 80. My dad was 80. We hadn't seen Aunt Ethel in more than 20 years. And Ethel looks at my dad, and she was a genius, by the way, but not very clear. And Ethel looks at my dad, looks you know, looks at me, looks at my dad, looks back at me. And here's what she said. She goes, you know something, Garrison, you look more like your daddy than your daddy looks like himself. <laughs> what? What, what I mean, mean is, is your daddy doesn't look like anybody now did then, you know. No, we don't know. No. And what was important about, uh, about Aunt Ethel is how smart she was. I mean, smart, her whole life smart. But people didn't know that. People 
couldn't work with her or deal with her because she talked over everybody's head. And, and, that's, and she didn't do much. And there's a good example. Uh, it's a really good example of making sure that, you know, a, a dog isn't loyal because you love it and pet it and feed it. A dog is loyal because you scratch him in places he cannot reach. You bring anybody's dog. I'll scratch them on the top of their head. Wherever they can't get their paws, I'll swear I'm going to scratch. And if I do that, they'll follow me anywhere. So, you know, what What can you give people that, that they can't do for themselves? That's well, I think you're right. You really, I think you, you're exactly right. And, and I wanted to be, jump in because before I lose the train of thought is that to simplify it, if like, and I do it, uh, we talked about this on an earlier podcast. Um where I, I want to influence this person to give me a bag of money, uh, right? And so right. in order for me to do that, there are there was a time where I felt like I needed to explain a lot of the details so that that, that justified right. the fee, right? Um, right? Now I've learned that uh, really this is a person who doesn't really care about how it gets done, but I should probably simplify it so that they can go, right. if we do this, it will take this amount of time, it will cost this much, and this will be the value that it could bring to your company. They're more right. likely to go, let's do it, and you didn't have to spend the time, you know, and you have the freedom to, to do the things behind the scenes without telling the client every little thing you're doing. Right. And that's a skill that's learned over time. I agree. But I, but I think the, the big lesson, for young, this happened to me about a, a couple of years ago at an airport. This guy was 22, 23 years old. He was talking to me and I didn't understand. And finally, he basically told me, he goes, I can't help you, sir. If if you're too dumb to understand, then I can't help you. And I said, okay, well, does everybody else understand? He goes, no, everybody's stupid. I said, if everybody's stupid, who do you think the idiot is? It's yeah, you. that's a good point. Clear. Yeah. You're not clear. If, 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 if only you get it, you're a dumbass. That should be <laughs> a red flag. It, yeah. If you go, if you find yourself in a room full of people going, you know what I'm saying, right? And they're like, no, nah, not really. But you do, right? No. All of y'all are yeah. stupid. That might be a red flag to go. Maybe it's me. You don't want to admit right. that it's you. It's, it can't be right. me because you're in your own delusion. So it's learning like, okay, it's, a, it's like a game. Like you have to figure yeah. out if you ever watch Survivor. I don't watch it now, but when it first came on, there was a lot of strategy. I mean, social strategy, yeah. alliances, and, and and having your foot in two different camps and not backstabbing, and and those are very applicable. But you know that, but that was fake. You know, if you're watching Survivor, here's the camera. You go like that. Oh, it's a food truck, and they go back. That's true. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> the, the, let's just go with the facade that we all believe. Okay. You know, the social. I almost think that Garrison, they should teach kids uh social classes on social skills i mean well, they, 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 psychology to, but, but we did it if you raise a kid okay and you just put that kid in bed in a sweatsuit and then wake them up without combing their hair and then hand them a biscuit and throw them into a car and then you want them to have social skills yeah I, yeah so that that's the problem we can't you can't raise someone without social skills and go, these kids should have social skills. Well, do you think yeah, that, does. do you think that a uh, contributing factor to the lack, cause when we grew up, you know, basically it was figure it out, son. And so you're going to sink or swim you're going to make the mistakes. I'm not going to coddle you, but do you think that the, the once, um, you know, the, the family household, uh, women went back to work, daycares and the kids really, um, were not, uh, I, I, do you think that that is any part of 
of them. I don't know if it is or not. As I'm saying, you think that would actually help them. You can make that argument, good or bad. What I'm trying to tell you is that I've noticed a difference. Um, For me, my mom said we had to show up for dinner at 630. Uh, They taught us what fork to actually use. Uh, They taught me what you could and couldn't wear uh, to dinner. Um, They taught me how to wind a watch. My father explained things to me. Uh, They made sure my mother would make, when I got up, I was like seven years old. She made sure my hair was combed. I was well coiffed. She had little scissors. She cut the strings off the clothes. I mean, and sent me out looking a certain way. Um, that's not what's happened. That's not what's happened. If you're 25 years old, your parents were busy. They didn't have time to do that. They said, okay, Hey kids, we're going, we're just, you know, showers are optional. We don't have a hairbrush, get in the car. And, you know, then you want to know why this kid shows up and, you know, you can always tell the ho- the homeschooled kid, right? He's barefoot and he's got his lunch in his pants, yeah. you know? So these, they're, 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 we, we really, you can't criticize a generation for behaving a certain way when you didn't give them the opportunity to learn what you learned. And we did. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the truth. I mean, I, I can, we can talk about it and I'm, I, I can be a guy my age and I complain about young people all the time and I got a whole list of complaints I can go through. Uh, and of course, but, you know, with the large but, family you have, you've got tons of kids. So why don't you have kids? What, what's the deal with that, Garrison? <laughs> I just like how we got there. Well, I do have well, so a, we're getting I have a little a, personal I a, here, right? I have an, I have an ex stepdaughter, but anyway, but uh, who's 24 years old. No, I just, you know, I was spent a lot of time on the road traveling doing this. I mean, I didn't get married till I was 42. Did you, you had relationships with somebody, right? And did they, did they want to have kids and settle down and have the white picket fence? No, not, not if they're dating me, they don't, you know, anybody's, anybody who's going to date me probably doesn't want that. Did you think, you know, some actors and actresses, they'll go, well, we had kids and we took them with us on the set and they traveled with us. And you never, you you thought, no, this kid's going to be screwed up. My stepdaughter and my, 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 my wife at the time, stepdaughter, we went all over the place. Okay. But my, 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 I got my, I I date some women who are uh, quite a bit younger than I am. And that has its own problems, but uh, you know, so. Yeah. You dog, you. Uh, no, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm a toy. I mean, either I mean, if if you're da- if I'm dating them my age group, they want me to help them with their beach house. So it's either right. help with their beach house or help them with their backpack. Yeah. So when I, when, you know, I got to figure out. What You've I got a lot of energy. Yeah. You've for you know, I say for your age, that makes it sound pretty bad. But I mean, you, you're right. But you've always you very wound up and you've got passion. Yeah. You, you've you don't just kick around and and like watch TV all day. You, you can't do that kind of thing. What do you do to well, occupy your time no, for for fun? No, what I. I will sit down and watch TV and I'll sit on the couch. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm an up and going when I have to go, I'm go, go, go. But I do uh, try to rest and relax. I don't sleep well. So I'm not the best relaxer that there is. How many hours of sleep you get? Three, maybe. No shit. Well, last night two, probably. But that's a, that's a, that's a normal thing for you. Yeah. I mean, I get, I mean, if I can get four, I'm four, five would be the max. I could probably stay asleep longer than five hours. That's do you, do you do you find that uh, to be strange? I mean, the people that you know or friends of yours I, they, they need it eight hours and you only yeah, need oh three. Yeah. No, my girlfriend needs you know like a whole day. You know, she has to just sleep the whole. I mean, you know. So you go to bed like you <laughs> go to bed at midnight, wake up at three, or you go to bed at three and wake up at six or seven or. It depends on what I want to do. If I go to bed at midnight, is a problem. I usually I'm up at two or three in the morning, so. Um, I'll typically go to bed later, like three in the morning, or if I got to get up early. Uh, but sometimes I'll go to bed at six, uh, you know, a.m. and wake up at you know ten a.m. Or just, just I I usually wake up based on what I have to do. 
to get the maximum rest I can get. So okay. I'm, I'm not somebody that consistently just gets up just to get up. Cause when I've done that, I, I make myself too tired. So do you, you know? to fill those hours that a lot of people don't have, you know, a lot of people will read a book and, and do you, do you watch your Netflix and what do you, what do you watch? I'm, what kind of shows do you watch? I'm, I'm busy. I, I mean, I'm on the phone doing something old. I've just got, my life just has a lot of parts to it. I mean, I have a lot going on considering I don't think that I have a lot going on, but I mean, I'm on the phone talking to people, phone calls all the time, you know, until 10 o'clock, 11 midnight. But, but I can't, but if I feel, why do I feel awkward to say, so tell me a, a show you watch on TV you recommend watching or a movie or uh, what I, I band like, do you I, listen to? Okay. So I like, I like Shameless uh, a lot is a good show. Mm -hmm. um, I also watched that uh, Gambit uh, movie that was really, really good. Um, the Gambit I also, movie. I'm also uh, was a big fan of The Crown. I watched all that. Okay. Um, I like the, I like the TV show Outlander with Catalonia Balf. It's a fantastic. Outlander is one of the best TV shows ever. Um, I watched all of Breaking Bad. Oh back, yeah. You know, and, and watched that. Talking. I also like Better Call Saul. The oh, that's Bad. even better. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now so, no, you. I've watched, I've watched some TV, and and and, and there's. I kind of tell you, there's some some very very uh, uh, good TV Euphoria, which scares parents to death, but it's a very good show with really the the young actors in that show i mean that's the next generation of gigantic talent really big talent. i'll What's try i saw it is it netflix zadea yeah. what is her name zadea she's a just a big gun actress um do you know her weston you heard of those the aurora uh, yeah zendaya Zendaya. zendaya. Yeah. okay from spider-man and, the, and there's uh then and there's the the transgender girl on there that's also a super good actor and then there's three. There, there, there's probably five people in that cast that are all under 22 that are fantastic, great actors. All right. Now, what about music? Well, I mean, I, I just listened to a lot of old. I went to, you know, I was. You just like you're embarrassed. It's like you're embarrassed. To, Look at you're blushing what? almost. You're well, like, well, well, okay. I like, okay, I do like music. I, no, that, come on. But that's the no. But that's the part. If your girlfriend's younger, then you just get beaten up by your music. Like, oh Jesus, we're not gonna listen to that. Like, uh. So, but if you're um, by yourself, you want to chill out. Okay, there's two moods. There's the I want to relax and 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 chill out, um, and maybe rest. Uh, and then there's the man. The windows are down. I, I want the radio I on. I think I'm like everybody else in my age group. I'm going to listen to Steely Dan and Black Sabbath and like you know Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that's what. That's so Weston what? is a big classic rock guy. I trained him well. I have a Led Zeppelin shirt on. He's all rock. Led Zeppelin, like you said, Steely Dan, all that kind of stuff. They did it. Well, okay, I, so I, I saw Led Zeppelin live. I saw them in 1974, and uh, they were terrible. Uh, they just not a great live band. You're right. They, I heard they, that. They, they played things weirdly out of sync. Uh, Black Sabbath was the opposite. Black Sabbath was fantastic. Saw them in 1975. They were killer. They were fantastic. Ozzy, believe it or not, Ozzy could sing. It was great. It was all great. They were. You saw why they were so famous when you saw them back then. They they were a tight band. They sounded better than the record. David Bowie better. Bowie was better than the record. You know who was also was, good? Uh, Iron Maiden sounded just like the album when you saw them. Yeah, live. yeah. They're a skill band. Uh, Van Halen had problems. David Lee Roth yeah. always had problems live. But 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 uh, people liked him, and I wish I could tell you the great story. But I did see Freddie Mercury and Queen. I saw them in 1981 when they were at the height of what they were doing, and I was hammered, messed up. So mm. I don't really remember the concert. I remember uh, getting my leg wedged between uh, a toilet and the side of a of a uh, stall. And that's what, I remember <laughs> that's what you concert. remember most. I, was, I had a bathroom problem. 
But yeah, but <laughs> I was there though, but I don't remember how good that Okay, was. so that that's good. Now now what about Pink Floyd? Uh, did, you, did you get into them? I saw Pink Floyd once. I saw them at the Jacksonville Coliseum. Um, I think I saw them. It was before the Wall tour, whatever tour was before. So that. Wall, it was Roger Waters and David Gilmore together. Yeah, oh. yeah. It was before the Wall. It was right before the Wall came out, and um, they were they were really really good. But you know that the, the, they're more of a that. they're more of a music that I listen to for an album. I want to chill out with an album opposed to seeing live, unless I'm like on yeah, acid and, or something. But an hour of Pink Floyd, and you kind of lose the will to live. I mean, it's just kind of. I really love so the new stuff. So I saw Floyd uh, with David Gilmore uh, when when Waters broke up. Uh, my friend told me you need to see Roger Waters live. It's pretty good. But for me, you know, like delicate sounds of thunder. Uh, some of the later after wish you were here and, and some of that stuff. Right. Um, right. I ride my bike to, to that. It's just the, the rhythm of it and it, and the, the words, they're very kind of deep, but yet relatable lyrics. I recommend, uh, delicate sounds of thunder. And there's another one, momentary lapse of reason. Wasn't that another one? Um, well, I, I was a big Aerosmith fan, but that's because, um, of my age, I mean, if you're in high school in the late seventies, Aerosmith. I saw band, Aerosmith three times, Garrison. I yeah. loved Aerosmith. I saw, I saw them four times, so I got to. Oh. I saw them good and I saw them bad. <laughs> I was in the Tangerine Bowl in Orlando, Florida, in 1979, and they were booed off stage. They were so bad and so messed up. Uh, Steven Tyler was singing, and he sounded like somebody was strangling a lamb. Wow. It was really bad. Um, and they got booed off stage, and then Ted Nugent came back and played another set because Ted Nugent had opened for them, and Nugent came back and was great. People forget how good he was—a great showman. He's not just know. an NRA freak; he's actually he was actually no, really, no. yeah. Well, I'm talking back in the day. Now, who knows? But, you know, yeah. Well, that's yeah, a, that's was, that's some good uh, reference. I mean, you and I are—we're uh, very similar in the age group. I mean, I always gravitated yeah. towards the Who, Van Halen, and then you know Steely right. Dan. I, I watched a documentary. I, uh, if you're, it's either on Prime or on Netflix. But, but, yeah, but I got a great story. Yeah, go so ahead. I was in, I was in Atlanta. I was a high school student, um, and I went to college there. But this was before I was in college, and I went to a place called the Atlanta Cafe, and there they said, "Oh, the house band is really weird." I said, "Okay." Well, a guy comes out there and he doesn't look rock and roll at all. And there's these women, they look weird. It's just the weirdest thing. And he got a cowbell and a drumstick. And he gets, he starts beating that cowbell. And, and there's no, the music starts and the drummer's pretty good. Guitar player's pretty good. And it's the weirdest thing. It's not disco, which was going on at the time. It's not rock and roll. And the guy starts to sing and he can't sing. It's like the singer can't sing. It's weird. And these two girls with weird freaking hairdos and they had, uh, duct tape on their backs and they had lights in their bouffant hairdos. And I said, who the hell are these guys? He goes, oh, they're the house band. They're a local band from Macon. They're called the B-52s. No and, kidding. Yeah. And, and they were not, you couldn't say they were good. It was just weird as hell. Wow. And then, and then that same summer, this guy said, you got to see this band. And I, and I, and I and I saw them, and I thought they were weird too. And then he said they were called the Walking Heads. He said the, and they were the Talking Heads. The Talking and Heads. At the same time, so those were the new age bands. But I got to tell you, the truth is, when you first saw them, there was no frame of reference. Well, David Bird, is that right, yeah. Weston? Is the guy from the yeah. Talking Heads? Yeah, I mean, he's got that book, uh, How to Make Music, or something like that. But they, but their their early music was the Talking Heads was weird. They opened up for a band called Skip Castro, which was a college band that played around. 
and uh, the Talking Heads toured with them, and they were just, they were so unusual, you didn't, you know, it's kind of interesting that, like, people ask me, oh, you saw this stuff. Yeah, I can say I went and saw Black Sabbath, and they just blew the doors off the thing. It was just un. Uh, Ozzy tore a shirt off and threw it in the audience, and, yeah. and, and 27 people died trying to yeah. get a shirt. Just, you know. Yeah, so where, where's the, the, the talking heads? Is, and then I asked myself, who is my yeah. beautiful wife, and where is my beautiful yeah, home? But, no, but that, that's, the, uh, that's the 80s. I'm talking about in the 70s. They were they were super, Okay, so that was interesting. They were, they were low-key and super weird. That's where you have the edge on me. You, you've got the backstory. I saw what they what they ended up becoming. You right. saw them when they were rising to that point. That's right. The, the, when I saw the B-52s, you, you would not understand what it was. Wow. It didn't, I didn't understand why the singer couldn't sing. I mean, this guy couldn't carry a tune in a freaking bucket. The two background singers were great singers. And, and they, the girl playing the piano and they could sing. Hmm. And the guitar player, the drummer were great. With a lead singer who was untalented, beating, it didn't make any. Years later, you see it, oh, it's a kind of a cool thing. But at the time, didn't make any sense. Sure. Well, let's, let's, yeah, we, we, we already talked about entertainment, movies, yeah. shows, music. Uh, let's close with talking about sports. Um, are you a sports fan? Do you do you watch football, baseball? What? I do. I watch football. I, I played sports in high school and middle school. So I watch sports. I watch professional football more than college football, probably because I went to a college and a football team. So, yeah. so um, yeah. I understand that you uh, have an association with Hank Aaron. Yeah. So strange story. So my dad worked for Magnavox uh, in the late '60s and '70s, and so one day he came home and said, "Look." Um, we're testing out this new thing. It's called a console video game. And it's got a little thing that plugs into a console, right? And uh, like a Pong or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's got all these features on it. Pong. And the, back then, the goal was to sell it to adults. They thought adults would play this in the 70s. Um, anyway, so uh, he said, but don't, whatever you do, don't take it to show and tell at school. I'm like 11 years old. So I took this demo. There was only four on the planet Earth. And I took this demo to the fifth grade and they people went nuts. They'd never, the science teacher couldn't understand how the TV wasn't involved. I kept saying, no, you plug it in and the, the stuff's in the box that affects the TV. The science teacher said for sure the TV's involved. Said, nope, you plug it in. Very so there's a screen. So you said it's a console. So there is a, an, yeah. an, a controller thing and the TV was built into it, the screen. No, no, no. You took take any TV and plug the uh, TV into the console. Yeah, like Pong. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And so what, the smarter you were, the more you couldn't believe it worked. The dumber you were, you bought it. But then, I get it. But if you're super smart, like, where's there? It's got to be the TV. Anyway, so it worked. People were crazy for it. My dad said he got 400 phone calls. Anyway, they started trying to push this thing forward. And finally, after a couple of years, a few years, they uh, got it marketed. And it was called Odyssey. It was the first console video game ever. Oh, I remember Odyssey. So they hired Julius Irving and Hank Aaron. Uh, at the time, Hank Aaron, it was 1974. He just hit uh, 715 and beat Babe Ruth's record. I would have been 13 years old at the time. And I got to travel with Hank Aaron from city to city as we demoed Odyssey video games for Magnavox. Wow. And we would hand out, I would hand out bats and autographs. We would do all these radio stations. I hung out with him. And people asked me about that because it was a weird experience. Um, and the thing I get asked the most was about the hate mail that he got from breaking Hank Aaron's record, right? About the hate mail. About, they were people. Well, yeah, what people do you mean breaking? You were with Hank Aaron and uh, yeah. they were mad about he, him breaking his own record. No, he broke Babe Ruth's record. Babe, Bruce. Babe Ruth's record. 
So what happened was, is he was a black guy and there was a business of the 70s and people were upset about that to some degree. And he got a lot of hate mail. So finally we were having dinner and there were a couple of reporter guys there and they said, Hank, I understand you're getting a thousand, two thousand very specific hate mail letters a week. What's going on? What do you think? And what he says is really interesting. I've never forgotten it. He said, my mama told me when I was 14 years old that I played baseball so well, there might come a time where I played baseball so well that I could offend white folks, that that might happen. Wow. And so she prepared me for the situation. And he said, I understand that people have heroes and what they believe in. We love to have a hero. Uh, my goal was never to beat anybody's record. My goal was to play baseball. I tried to hit as many, many home runs as I could. You could have never told me when I was 20 years old I was going to beat Babe Ruth's record. That was even anything I considered. But I did the best that I could. I played a lot longer than he did. I played a lot longer than he did in better conditions than he did. Uh, but I did the best that I could, and, and that's what happened. And he goes, I can't speak to somebody's prejudice, right? Mm-hmm. But I know people feel like they feel. And I certainly understand. Uh, shocking uh, anybody who would be that humble. Uh, humble uh, the way he handled that question, because, I mean, those reporters, they were really looking for something and they weren't going to get it from Hank. And it was really interesting uh, how he felt about it. And then they said, well, when you were running down the third baseline, uh, you know, people were behind you. You looked behind you like you were worried who was behind you. And, and Hank Aaron goes, well, I played a lot of baseball and never when I'm running from third base to home where there are 17 people running behind me. So, of course, I look behind me. You know, wow. You know, when does that happen? Well, what, did he you have nice conversations guy. with him? Yeah. T- did you? I mean, you a hung out? Bit. I, I talked to him a little bit. Um, uh, he was a nice, uh, humble man. He was uh, a very kind man. And he was very he knew how lucky he was. He felt lucky and felt fortunate. Uh, he, he wasn't just, rich, he was, was he? Yeah. I mean, from did he seem like you know he was a, well, a wealthy man? As my, as my father said, they you know they they were paying him for as, as for endorsements, but he didn't get a lot of opportunities. Uh, not everybody wanted him uh, in, in those days to endorse that. I unfortunately didn't hang on to all the posters and sign mm. baseballs and. All that in the late seventies ended up, I don't know what happened. So what did you, I mean, you kind of said it, but what was your, you know, your takeaway, you know, from that, what did that teach you? Um, you know, you you were young, but you were, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was young. Uh, and so I can't tell you I absorbed the world's greatest lesson, but if I look back, you know, on that and think about it, what I think I learned was that it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. Um, and it doesn't matter how upset or mad somebody else is. Um, you know, you, uh, you have the right to do what you have to do. And sometimes you kind of have to forgive people for who they are. You know, people are who they are and that's who they are. And, and it's not necessarily any of my business. And someone's opinion of me isn't necessarily my business. Well, the you other know, thing, the other thing that, that came to mind is that, uh, you can be the best in the world at something and people are, are going to try to tear you down for that oh, yeah. for that exact thing and you know when you're on top right. no matter white black race doesn't really matter if you're on top you're gonna have people that are gonna try to pull you down but in this case right. you know he had a unique circumstance it's almost a perfect storm he's a talented baseball player he broke records right, right. Um, but it was also during a time when you know the the the, the social uh way of of america was not that friendly towards blacks and so right. he had to to be humble 
And it uh, sounds like, based on what you're saying, you know, to be humble, know that y- he's good. His grandmother told him, you, you might right. you offend people because you're so damn good. And now he's living that, and, he, and he's having to cope. He's having to deal with the reality of his own success. But what was interesting, though, was that at the same time, his uh, friend, who was um, Willie Mays, was the opposite. Mays was, was, was uh, you know, furious with the circumstance and vocal about it. So he was hmm. different than a lot of people at the time. Interesting. I just remember, I just remember the idea that you know that uh, not necessarily of forgiveness, but the idea that people are going to do what they're going to do, and their opinion of me and that much of my business. They, I mean, yeah, sure. You you liked your hero. You're a you're a really prejudiced dude who has a hero, and I'm a black dude who broke that hero's record. I get it. You feel that way. I don't agree with it or like it, but it's just the idea that he was like, yeah, that, that they have a right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. That's their opinion. And I respect that. He he was able to respect that. They didn't like that about him. Yeah, it was, it, I was, it, I, it was to me remarkable at the time, considering what was going on. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just not exactly, I'm not, nothing against Willie Mays, but I just remember at the time he was very vocal about the injustice and was, you know, thought Hank Aaron should be more revered than he was at the time. So it's kind of like Willie Mays was talking about it more than he was. Wow. Well, that's a great yeah. story. That's a great story. But, what, but, but for baseball fans out there, what, no one's, what record that no one will ever break, maybe for Hank Aaron, no one has ever hit that many home runs after age 35. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, um, well, listen, listen, we're, we're about to run out of, out of time here. Um, but we've talked about some great things. I really was uh, fascinated to hear how you're doing. Uh, because yeah. again, we've been through, it's been, you know, 20 some years, uh, yeah. back when the internet started and where you are now, you've really done an incredible job with your business and to be traveling like you are doing what you like to do, doing what you're best at and influencing companies, uh, you know, to, to do better for their employees. Um, and then COVID hit and we talked about that. And I think that, uh, you know, do you have any, um, when do you go back on the road or when do you anticipate to kind of go back on the road? Has anybody I've got, reached I've out got to I've got events you? that are booked coming up in June, uh, it looks like. And uh, we're seeing, obviously, we're seeing um, the number of infections, coronavirus going down, death rates going down. It's all just like that. Yeah. And as that happens, we'll get back to where we were. I know people say, oh, it's going to be the new normal. And no, it's never that new and never that normal. Uh, but we'll be back to something that looks similar than it was before. Absolutely. Yeah, and for those for those uh, clientele, those corporations that are a little more strict on social distancing and, and uh, masks that might want to take advantage of the virtual garrison win, they can do that. And yeah. when and right. those who are ready to kind of take a leap of faith and and uh, and and go to a live uh, convention and, well, and have their it's people. It's not going to be a leap of faith, Doug. We're, we're going to wait till people are ready. We're not going to you know we're not going to. Uh, those events will cancel unless I, the society. Ready. You know, we live in. Texas. I mean, you, when everybody was freaking out up north right, about, right. We, we would go to a restaurant. And there's people drinking and sharing. They're, right, they're right, licking right. door handles and going, I don't need to wear no mask. This is before the spike hit, right? So there are there are certain corporations out there that are a little more uh, swinging to the right that go, look, we're going to meet regardless. I, I, agree, I agree. You know, I also agree that if, if you if you're licking door handles, COVID's not your biggest problem. <laughs> that's very true. If you're licking door handles, you got a whole different set of. Well, change your mask. well, the future actually kind of looks. I'm, I'm excited to hear how, how it went back June, July, August. Um, you know, the, the things should be back in the swing of things. Yeah. Thank, thanks for your time, man. It's very good sure, to see you again. Um, hopefully, we can good do some more of these in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time. It's good to see you. Absolutely. Great to see you too, Garrison. We'll take care and we'll talk to you real soon. Okay, pal? 
Yeah, thank you. Take care. You Thanks. bet.